Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker, and you're listening to another fun-filled episode of Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast for October of 2022, and in this episode, we get to talk once again with the amazing, wonderful, talented, you name it, she does it, Erin Shear. She interviewed Johnny and Jack and myself for... NPR affiliate WJFF earlier this year and what you're getting to hear in this episode and also in the last episode that we did is more or less the unedited version of that interview so I think you're going to enjoy it. It's kind of the origin story of this podcast. It's a lot of fun and uh, of course as you probably all know by now Erin has joined our team so you'll be hearing a lot more from her in the future but for now here is part two of our delight interview with the delightful Aaron Shear talking the origin of this podcast. What can I say? Right here on Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast. So your podcast also features uh, music sometimes, um, you know, from the festival itself and sometimes, you know, artists who played at that festival. Um like I know, like in one case you, with Mick Valeni, you even like played his yeah. own music. Yep. Um, right. So I take it you do it primarily to kind of break up the podcast a little bit, and uh, you know, if it's not getting too sensitive, have you kind of run into some issues with copyright? Um, not generally. Um, I do have uh some you know ins here and there where uh, you know people are some people are willing to let me kind of do my thing. Um, however, that, that does have its limitations. I used to do the same thing for the Frank Zappa podcast. And then when we became an official podcast, then universal who owns the rights to the catalog kind of swooped in and between them and the, the publishing company. Now we don't have any music on the show at all. But they didn't, there was no like legal repercussion from it. They just said, okay, well, rights, we're having problems with rights and we don't know who owns what and so forth and so on. And um, none of the artists have complained. Um, you know, the. the uh, we often get permission from the artists as well to yeah. um, mm-hmm. use their music. Yeah, the actual Woodstock stuff. I mean, I. I sort of gave an assist to that box set that came out in 2009, which was this big sprawling 38 CD monstrosity. So, um, you know, I figured it was um, sort of promotion for them also to, to have people hear, you know, some of the music that was there, but you're right. It does break up the, you know, what would otherwise be, I don't want to say the monotony of a conversation, but you know what I mean? Like just to give people like a breath, you know, yeah. and, and um, yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Scott is Scott does a great job on the editing. You know, he 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 spends a lot of time doing that. And he find he finds some songs that I'm like, where in the world did you find? That? <laughs> I didn't even know that song existed, period. And you're finding it somewhere. 
Yeah, I'd probably so own he, it. <laughs> puts in a lot of time. He does a, a great job with that. Oh, thank you, Johnny. Appreciate that. It takes a while, but um, but you know, the it's just kind of like it's the show that we would want to hear, you know, and so it's laid out that way. If there were any like rights issues or whatever, you know, they'll let us know. But, um, you know, the, the worst thing that could possibly happen to any podcast really that uses music, because a lot of music podcasts do, is that yeah. you just don't have the music anymore. But the conversations are certainly strong enough, I think, to um, to kind of be on their own without music. So if it, if it needed to be that way, and sometimes it is when we interviewed sister Suzanne Bunn, uh, the famous Woodstock nun from the Woodstock movie, um, we hardly had any music because we knew she'd be listening and we didn't want to potentially offend her with anything. So <laughs> we, she had one song that, um, what was it? It was a country song. Yeah, people are crazy. It was called, yeah. and she mentioned in passing that she liked this country song called "People Are Crazy," and so I just stuck it in there so that she would smile when she heard it. We threw that in, and we threw an "Amazing Grace" by John oh, Yes, because how could she object to a uh, a hymn? Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, how could you? Arlo Arlo Guthrie also did that at Woodstock as well. So. Mm -hmm. that it was, yeah, I don't know. I, I was wondering what type of music you would pick for that. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I was limited in my choices. Yeah. You know, we didn't want any sort of, you know, yeah. we didn't want any, you know, love oh, yeah. songs. Speaking or, of Arlo, the, coming hmm. into Los Angeles would have been the perfect song for Sister Susan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bring it in. You should have started about drug smuggling. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I looked at the Woodstock list. I said, okay, we're taking away things with drugs in it, things things of a sexual yeah. nature, things of, and you had relatively little left to work with. So, <laughs> so amazing yeah. grace it was. <laughs> yeah, or maybe Hendrix is the Star Spangled Banner. I don't know. I don't maybe. think we played that a couple of times on the dale bell interview yeah oh yeah. The, the, well he, he really went into uh i still love the his explanation of uh the star span banner is a thing of beauty my oh. my single favorite moment of the podcast was dale bell was the um uh associate producer he was the producer right well associate yeah. producer of, of woodstock the movie, the movie. Yeah. And his description to us during during our conversation of the um, the meaning and the intent behind Hendrix's version of the Star Spangled Banner yeah. is something that should be taught in schools. Like it was this thing of incredible beauty and it remains like my favorite moment. And, you know, it's just those spontaneous things that come out of nowhere because he was just so rhapsodic about, you know, what this piece of music meant um not just to him but to the culture and to you know what it means to future generations all that stuff it's amazing i absolutely um one of these days i'm going to separate it from the rest of that show and put it out as a teaser for people because it's just that good yeah one of, the, yeah, it, one of these days we have to go back and put that episode out again because that was on our old server it was great yeah yep those gotta go back out too. 
took a long time to get he, to get Dale Bell on here, probably over a year, well over a year. So mm -hmm. good things come to those who wait. Mm -hmm. yes. Very much so. And now I was read. Uh, I think you've said you have ten thousand unique downloads mm -hmm. per episode. Yep, correct. Last time I checked, yeah, um, we used to have. Um, we were with a server called Podcast Garden, and they kept much better tabs on on who does what. Because since since those days, podcast hosting has diversified so much. So you've got, you know, you're hosting on a particular server, but you're being streamed all over the place and all of these different um, places to stream the podcast. Um, they all have their own statistics. So you almost have to go through and pick every one of them and try to find your numbers. So I was kind of impressed. I mean, you know, that, you know, the Zappa cast has been around a lot longer. Um, it has a lot of, you know, I mean, it has quite a few. Um, we did, uh, almost a hundred thousand on one episode recently. So we've got a ways to go, but, um, it didn't hurt that John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Twitter accounts actually promoted it. But anyway, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we've been building our audience steadily and it gets to the point now where as Jack will be the first to tell you, people really look forward to these episodes and, um, uh, you know, when we have a drought of a few weeks or something where, where we don't issue an episode, people are like, where's my episode? You know, like, and so, you know, <laughs> you know, you want it then. So, um, you know, we're still growing. I don't know what it is at the moment because it's really kind of hard to find out, but judging by the messages I get, I mean, we get messages, I get messages every day about it and, um, people are just so into it. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that because, um, you know, the, the idea was, as, as Tisha Agri said, to keep the dream flowing, you know, to, to coin a phrase. And, um, uh, you know, I think we're doing that for people, people who were there in 69, a lot of people who were there, listened to the show and a lot of, an awful lot of younger people, you know, and who mostly are younger hard. people, because people who were there in 69 don't know what a podcast Why, is. Yeah, they're not <laughs> podcast savvy. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I always tell them now, I tell them it's a radio show. Essentially, it's a radio show. Yeah. And then they kind of get that. My mother has no idea what I do. <laughs> <laughs> she has literally no idea. <laughs> and you can't, you can't explain it to her either. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Duke Devlin, who was... Um... Mm -hmm. He was an original attendee who stayed in Woodstock or stayed in Bethel. You know, he came from Texas and he stayed there. Sure. And he didn't know what Zoom was, but, you know, so he had no idea. He didn't know what a podcast was, but he's happy to tell a story. Yeah. And we have to, we probably have to meet him in person and record him in person. Yeah. I just saw yeah. him last week and, um, or the week before. And, yeah. you know, I, I talked with him about it. He said, yeah, you got your recorder. I was like, yeah, but I don't have time. So <laughs> there you go. We'll, we'll, we'll make time and we'll do it. We will. We'll get up there.
then uh, you're also donating uh, the interviews you're conducting uh, to the Bethel Woods Museum. So how did that come to pass? I've actually been sort of associated with them donating bits of audio and video since before they opened. So I have this sort of ongoing affiliation with them. You know, it's it's given me a lot of great things to have that association. But one of the, the things that I feel most blessed to be able to do is when we do these episodes, I, we can donate the raw interviews for them because I think their mission is extremely important. And um, eventually somebody's going to go through these, I don't know how many hours of interviews it is now and be able to craft a kind of alternative oral history of Woodstock that would be absolutely riveting. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we are the people who can do that. All we can really do are the interviews, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's really a pleasure to be able to donate that to them. And I just sort of was talking to, um, Robin Green, who's the assistant to the uh, curator of Bethel Woods. So she's been my friend for many years. I had a really good relationship with Wade Lawrence, who was the curator up until his retirement in 2019. And I just said, you know, she knows we've been doing this podcast. And I said, you know, if you ever want the interviews, you know, you're free to do with them whatever you would like, you know, and they're going to have this tremendous archive. I think the three of us will bring out, you know, we, for anybody of known, we do some research. I mean, it's hard to do research on the attendees. Mm -hmm. And of course we're lazy interviewers. So we prefer somebody <laughs> who just talks, you know, like if you've ever seen the film director, Kevin Smith interview, you just put a microphone and he talks for like two hours. Yep. That's it. It's a monologue. But, but, <laughs> We, but, but even like people, whatever it is, we just say, okay, what did you see when you were up there? What did you do? What happened? And then what happened? How'd you get there? You know, so we have a couple, well, what'd you take with you? You know, did, what impact did it have on your life? So mm -hmm. at least some basic questions helps guide the conversation and the memories. Yeah. We, we try to interfere as little as possible with, you know, what they're saying, because you know, a lot of these, a lot of our guests, if you just wind them up, then they'll go, you know, classic example of that is a guy named Alex Del Zopo, who was the keyboard yeah. player for Sweetwater. They were the first band to play at Woodstock. Richie Havens was the first artist. Sweetwater was immediately after him. So they were the first full band. And good Lord, I don't know. We did like three sessions with him. And one of them mm -hmm. was pushing... The first one was six hours. Then Second I think the next five. one was four. And just and the, like the final wrap-up one was like two. Yeah. yeah. Only, and that one was because we had technical difficulties. We'd still be talking to him. <laughs> well, we're friends with him now, but it's oh, kind of yeah. weird. I mean. I, yeah. 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 He, Alex we, is we, great. We, I've been friends with Alex since 01, but. We love, we love Alex and we, we talked to Nancy. We spent time with Nancy Nevins and we spent a lesser extent with Fred Herrera. So we've yeah. gotten most of the Sweetwater story and we're just trying to figure out more ways to talk to them because yeah. we know their story. You know, I don't know. We're thinking of maybe, uh, I think the, v, the VH1 movie about Sweetwater is on YouTube and we may do a director's commentary. 
Love to yeah. do that one of these days. And yeah, I'm right. actually working on getting them to Gerald Abramson's uh, next year. So I'm, I'm hoping to be able to import them from Los Angeles. I have permission to at least open up the negotiation. So we'll see what happens. I'll play with sure. them. <laughs>
got lots of friends that are just hanging outside your door. But wait a minute, gentlemen, when your money's gone and all that spending ends, they won't be around anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, but your rich relations. of bread and such And you can help yourself But don't take too much Mama may have And your papa may have But God bless the child who can So I have one more question and then I'm just going to maybe for the sake of the podcast episode, maybe share a few anecdotes with you to wrap Please. up. Yeah. Right, you so the last question I have is I know that you like to keep the identities of future guests under wraps until mm -hmm. the episodes are posted, but would you be willing to drop some hints as to maybe some forthcoming guests or topics that might be covered in uh, future episodes? Well, Here's a spoiler. The topics that we're going to be talking about is Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, we have we we have uh, several that are coming up. Um, we can actually we can actually give you some of those names. One of them is um, a gentleman that I think should have a greater presence on the show. Um, it's a gentleman by the name of Jim Shelley, and he um, is known on social media and on the internet as the Woodstock whisperer. And he's one of the uh, foremost, it, I mean, really seriously, one of the world's foremost Woodstock um, historians and researchers. And he's a really, really good friend. He attended Woodstock in 69, um, spent most of his life not thinking about Woodstock and then came into it, you know, came back into it, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, something like that. And he's just amassed this massive database of information and uh, writings that he's done and all that. So we have two episodes that are coming up with him. Um, we have the second part of Sally Man Romano coming out. Yeah, that's coming out this week. Um, Harry Loco is the artist that we talked about who plays over at Gerald's every year and also at Hector's. And he, you know, he's, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> that there is an American artist 
that embodies the spirit of Woodstock or takes it as seriously as Harry does. I mean, he really, you know, he lives in the light, you might say. Um, and this is without the benefit of LSD. Go figure. So, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, actually, we're all without and the benefit I'm of LSD except me. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I've talked with Scott and Jack. I'm looking. I've gotten a, a permission, not permission, but a, a approval to get some people that are closely associated with Sly and the Family Stone fans and a couple other musicians to uh, we could start like a, you know, some type of, I guess, Sly and the Family Stone Chronicles, for lack of a better I would way of that. describing it. We could have a series of interviews now, I don't think we're going to get Sly Stone. I don't think we can. <laughs> no. But, uh, but we, we will have a lot of talks. I'm not sure when that's going to occur, but ho hopefully it'll be in the next, you know, few months. But that'll take and, some and, work. And, of course, there's more to come on the quarry story. Oh, yeah, yeah, they played the band Nick. at the free stage. Yep. Yeah, we have. I have confirmation from two or three other people that we're going to we're going to talk to them about it. We want to, you know, they, they were, for those that don't know, Quarry actually played longer than anyone at Woodstock. They weren't hard. <laughs> they played on the free stage. They played, I don't even know, hours and hours for several days. They have a story and it needs to be told. And that's what, you know, what we tried to do with them. And we had those are really good stories, mm -hmm. and we've got more to come on that. I'm trying to find other people, but it's hard to find some of these people. And some people, you know, are just private, which I understand, and you know, mm -hmm. they don't want to be interviewed, which makes yeah. it hard for them to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. That that can be a little difficult to track them down, but uh, we but we have no, a week. We've got a lot working on it. Yes. Well, we you know, that's what AI is for. Hasn't anybody watched the Andy Warhol diaries? <laughs> they they rebuilt his voice using AI. <laughs> so well, did you hear um Amazon is coming out with um they're updating Alexa and if you have a sample of a dead person's voice, they can talk in that voice. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I so don't know how I would for, like dead relatives, but Theoretically, it could be anybody. It's an interesting idea. Don't know if the world needs it, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Does the world need an Alexa to begin with? Well, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably sit that one out. I don't yeah, know that I I'd so. Oh, God, how creepy. Well, <laughs> sorry, Aaron. We're straying very far off yeah. here. <laughs> no, it's fine. We like doing that. Yeah, we always do that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I um, so I graduated from SUNY Oneonta, which is about, I want to say, an hour and a half from Bethel. And yeah. uh, obviously, as Jack was saying, he was looking at my Instagram. I posted some photos of the reunion we had earlier this year. And um, I know in past reunions, um, you know, hearing some of the stories that um, especially with some of the DJs who worked at the station back in the late 60s, early 70s, mm -hmm. some of them went to Woodstock. 
And yeah. uh, because, you know, a lot yeah. of them are like from uh, the student. I don't know if it's this way now, but I know when I was a student there, like a good chunk of the student body was from downstate. Yeah. And, you know, um, and then we also had this professor who was the faculty advisor for many years, a guy by the name of Dave Ring. Um, he went to Woodstock. And I think at the time he was in college in Boston and he talked about um, having to leave and hitchhike back to Boston to go back to school. And uh, it was, I, I wish he was here. Unfortunately, he passed away earlier this year, but uh, some well, of the see, stories those, were those, very fascinating. Those, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Those are the type of stories we love to hear. See, that's what I was alluding to earlier. When pe you know, people tell us how they got there, and of course, some of them don't even remember getting there, being <laughs> there, or leaving there. <laughs> but we like to hear, you know, the, the little idiosyncrasies, if that's the right word. You know, we like to hear the little stories that, you know, that are unusual. Jeannie Whitworth was fantastic. She, she's the yeah. girl with the wine bottle. She wrote, she wrote her own book about it, but I think we covered most of it. Her book is fabulous, but I think we covered a lot of it on the podcast, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was great, you know, that I mean, you know, I wouldn't have known otherwise that, you know, when they took the famous picture of her just standing there looking into nothing, holding a wine bottle that she was actually tripping. So who, who knew? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and not on wine and not it on wine, her bottle. <laughs> not yeah. on wine, folks in the rain. God, how horrible. But anyway. <laughs> and then the thing was another episode that I really enjoyed that I haven't I don't think we've talked about this guest yet was Jesse Jarno who wrote the ah, liner yeah. notes for the box set I ended yeah. up actually after listening to his episodes um, I went out and checked out his book heads from the yeah. library great book great great book yes I love God. Jesse oh. he's been a friend of mine for several years so he actually is the host you probably know this of the official Grateful Dead podcast so I did, thought did there wouldn't tell him about the dead quarters. Yes. <laughs> I think he knows about the dead quarters now. Okay. Uh, but um, but yeah, he he's an amazing, amazing and he's younger than me. I mean, good lord. Actually, so are you, Aaron, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I he's just older than 50. me, but only by a couple of years, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh well, he was, you know, he was old enough to have actually seen the Grateful Dead when Jerry Garcia was alive. But um, I had a couple of a few years on him, I guess. But but um, but yeah, I'm really proud of him and of the work he did because he did the the liner. Yeah, the liner notes for the um, for the big Woodstock box that came out yeah. a few years ago. And um, he's done a lot of really, really great work. And it was the, the Grateful Dead set at Woodstock is so maligned by pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah, including almost every deadhead that's out there that I wanted to try to save the reputation of the band at Woodstock. Yeah. So um, I wrote a piece about it for um, the Grateful Dead Guide, which is available online. That's a that's a really amazing blog about Grateful Dead history. And I've gone to bat repeatedly about that show, but I got Jesse on the show. I talked him on to it. And, um, you know, he he wasn't a huge fan of the Dead at Woodstock either, but I tried to convert him. <laughs> <laughs> Quite work out. 
Nothing's for It can always go wrong Come in when it's raining That book specifically got me looking at the dead a little bit more seriously because mm. I was one of those people who, even though I've always kind of been into like 60s music, yeah. was a little bit more hostile to the dead. And I'm sure you've encountered that person. And that I was don't me. Know I, I was that myself person. a deadhead now, but I, you know, have started to, you know, kind of catch up a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was me as well because I grew up, you know, when I was, a, I was 15. So this would be, Good Lord, eight, 1987. And um, uh, that I was very into Frank Zappa. And Frank Zappa is sort of the antithesis of everything, you know, like Grateful Dead. You know what I mean? Like he didn't do any drugs. Um, he was a very straight guy, um, you know, incredible, like technical, skillful musicianship, all that, that stuff. And the dead great musicians, you know, but they were a lot looser. It's a jam band philosophy. Yeah. And so I didn't get it until I saw them. And, and then I got it. I mean, yes, I got accidentally dosed with acid at my first show and that helped me to get it. But <laughs> somebody sprayed a bottle in my eyes and it had uh, liquid LSD in it. So I had to deal with that for, <laughs> you know, for a bunch of hours at that show, but I got it after that. And, uh, um, yeah, I grew to really love their music. Um, it's, you know, it's not typical of the 60s, really. It's it's kind of its own thing. Um, you know, it's sort of the confluence of, you know, yeah, psychedelic rock and uh, jazz to a certain extent. All that open improv is all straight out of the, uh, you know, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Ornette Coleman books. Um, you know, a lot of country type influences in there and all that stuff. And it's really, you know, somebody's made the argument to me that the Grateful Dead is the most American music ever created. And I think that might actually be true. I mean, it's a very, very American thing, you know, and uh, uniquely American, I would say so. Yeah, it's it's worth exploring their their catalog. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think so. I'm obviously, you know, obviously, like we have stated, I live in Western New York and it's sure. even though obviously they're from Northern California, you know, some of their most remembered shows and memorable shows were in Western and Central New York. Obviously, yep. the most famous is Cornell 77. Yeah. Uh, the Watkins Glen show. I don't know the reputation of that one. Great show. There's um, there was one in Binghamton 
that happened, I think, right before Kent State. That yes. is considered like one of the more memorable ones too. Five four seventy, yes. May it's kind of hard to escape them a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> uh, all those shows are definitely primo Grateful Dead. So if you're ever interested in doing sort of a deep dive into their live performances, I probably would have started with the 1970 show in Binghamton because it's just such a great show, and they do an acoustic set, and you know it's just this amazing thing, but you know, it is, you know, just like anything, you know, like the, um, you know, the Zappa thing is very much a rabbit hole, the Woodstock thing. Oh my God, it's a rabbit hole. The Grateful Dead is probably the biggest musical rabbit hole you could ever, (laughs) you know, most of the people that I know that have fallen down that rabbit hole never come out again. (laughs) (laughs) I got kicked down that rabbit hole and I've never come down, come out. So (laughs) it's great. (laughs) <laughs> but if you ever need recommendations, I'll be happy to give you some. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I, I guess the that. last thing that I'll state is that my mother was invited by a friend to go to Woodstock and she turned it down. Really? Um, I don't think she really has. I think she said to me that she didn't necessarily re- even though she ended up going to see the movie and like a lot of people her age, you know, sure. really has a lot of uh, reference for the festival. Um, she didn't necessarily regret it in and of itself just because, you know, having to get out and walk. I can't imagine my mother doing something like that. <laughs> <laughs> was, was, were you raised in the Finger Lakes area? Yes, I was raised in the Finger Lakes and my mom actually grew up in the city of Rochester. Okay. So like within the inner city, actually. So you're, th- you're talking like, yeah, you're probably talking three, four hour drive. Although, you know, that's small potatoes compared to where a lot of people came from but um yeah i mean valerie jean cooper the information booth girl who later went berserk was uh yeah. in buffalo so you know that's that's yep. long yeah, a lot of people came from the new york city area even though yeah came there's a lot of new york city well you know like it, it is it is uh it wouldn't be one of our podcasts if we didn't mention the the famous abby hoffman getting Hit, you know, yeah. hit in the head by Pete Townsend <laughs> yeah. moment. Yeah, that and comes up almost every episode. It does. And the Ferris wheel is to come up more and more. <laughs> you know what we haven't talked about? Mm. Mosquitoes. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know what? Mosquitoes at Woodstock? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, I mean, there's a bit of audio where John Morris is talking about... Um, uh, somebody in the crowd shouts, why aren't there any bugs? And he and he says something like some crazy guy sprayed that field over and over again so that you don't have to deal with the bugs. You can only imagine what those people were breathing in. But <laughs> well, <laughs> people or the marijuana smoke, you know, the cloud of marijuana smoke yeah, it might have uh, kept them away, <laughs> might have kept them away. I don't know. But we, we definitely have to start asking our guests about mosquitoes. Sounds it. I mean, my mother-in-law was of the age where she could have gone to Woodstock and didn't, but she is also possibly the most unhip person that ever lived. So, <laughs> no, that would be my parents. <laughs> <laughs> my my dad has an affinity for Perry Como and Pat Boone. Hey, at least my dad liked Tank Williams. You know, it wasn't all you know. <laughs> but yeah, I you know. I always feel for those people who who could have gone and and then didn't because, you know, once they saw the movie, I'm sure they all wished they were there. Although what I used to say was, 
you can always tell a person who really went to Woodstock by from a person who didn't by how good of a time they had, because <laughs> because if they if they generally will say it was the greatest time ever and nothing bad happened and it was just this beautiful thing, there's a good chance that they weren't there because they didn't have to deal with the mud and all the other stuff that, you know, like that people you know, who were there, you know, generally will remember. So, you know, we do know a few people who who were there that really uh, remember it as sort of this more idyllic sort of place. But, you know, there was a lot of mud, boy. You know, it, it would have been it would have been a trial. I think it would have been worth it, but it would have been a trial to get through, I think, for any, you know, any sort of. Well, well it depends. I mean. If I was offered the opportunity to go to Woodstock today, oh, I'd be there. Knowing what I know, <laughs> yeah, to sit in a field for four days in the mud, not in a chair, I don't know that I'd go. But yeah. if you ask nineteen-year-old me, sure, I'd be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, I'd still go, but I'd find my way onto the staff so that I didn't have to sit out in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, something, That's my something thing. like that. But then I could be. Eddie Kramer sitting in a truck for four days. That's true. Yeah. Recording the whole festival. Yep. Absolutely. He hasn't been on our show yet either, but one day we'll get, I have interviewed him for another, for my Woodstock book actually. So could probably get him, I guess. Thank <laughs> you. 
And that's our show. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast was produced and edited by Scott Parker. Your hosts were Jack Lekensky, Johnny Hudson, and Scott Parker. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast has a Facebook page where you can catch up on all the latest Woodstock hullabaloo. Keep the Dream Flowing, a Woodstock 1969 podcast is not affiliated in any way with Woodstock Ventures or any of its individual partners or entities. On behalf of Jack Lekensky and Johnny Hudson, this is Scott Parker saying thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time.